Initiating launch sequence. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Ready for Launch, the show where I talk to founders about the process of getting their business off the ground. My guest today is Stephanie Golick. Steph, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, Ian. Thanks for having me. Um, doing very well. How about yourself? I am excellent. Yes. And I would love it if you could do me the honors of introducing your business and what you think is unique about it. Cool. Um, so I'm the co-founder of Huddle. Huddle is a platform uh, where designers and builders can connect and collaborate on startup projects. So we're a two-sided marketplace. We have startups from you know bootstrapped pre-seed stage all the way up to series B stage and beyond that come can post a project of any kind and get a team of vetted designers and builders around it within a day. And on the on the kind of freelancer side of the equation, we have a community of over 1,200 uh, freelancers today, some of which are full-time freelancing, some of which are in full-time jobs and moonlighting on the side. And uh, they really join Huddle to build their own sort of independent career. Lovely. Easy description. Well, I will definitely get into more detail in that in a bit, but I always really like to start these by just rewinding for a bit and going back to like what, talking about your career and how that led you to where you are now. Sure. Um, so I originally studied architecture and had my kind of focus in urban planning um, and graduated with my degree in that, had worked in a bunch of different architecture firms and realized I really did not enjoy it. Um, really, really actually enjoyed the study of it is what I found uh, and did not enjoy it in practice. And so, um, yeah, I made a move from Boston where I had gone to school and, and worked a bit. Um, I made a move to New York and decided that I was going to try out product design or user experience design, which at the time was a pretty new concept in general and was very new to me, but I had read about. Um, and I felt like it was like the kind of like the perfect application of the stuff I really enjoyed about architecture um, when I was getting my degree, which was like studio work and creative problem solving and design thinking. Uh, it felt like it was all my favorite, you know, parts about that just being applied to software. Um, so, yeah, kind of like with that background, I, you know, did a bunch of different stuff starting out. I started my own app. I got connected with a developer that had a similar idea to something I had been, you know, thinking about and literally learned how to design an app by just <laughs> looking on the internet and dribble and, you know, figuring it out and then ended up putting this app in the app store. And that was like my first you know, project on my portfolio that ended up getting me my first full-time job. Um, and then I worked in uh, a bunch of different startup studios in New York after that, uh, helping early stage companies and founders uh, get off the ground, go to market with design and development help, you know, from helping them design their first MVP of their app to helping them design their pitch deck to, 
helping them think through uh, their brand and design their first logo, kind of like full service, like startup design and product support, which was like an ex- an amazing crash course, I think, at like everything that I was excited about when I was getting into product design, just like getting to work with startups, getting to create things from the ground up. Um, and I ended up working inside of one of the startups I was advising, um, coming on as their head of product in UX is a little mapping company in New York called MapFit. Um, and we, we built some really cool technology and uh, grew the team out a bit. I ended up moving out to San Francisco to open our SF office. And then around that time, we got acquired by Foursquare. And from there, I had kind of met some folks at Cruise, which is the self-driving car startup based in SF, um, and got an opportunity to join Cruise as one of their first product design manager positions and really grow product design out there as well. Um, so I spent a couple of years at Cruise and then finally made the leap during COVID to starting Huddle. Which sounds like we have a lot more in common than I thought, because I also studied architecture and had exactly the same feelings as you that such an interesting course to study, but the real world of it was nothing like that level of excitement. So, <laughs> yeah. World. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do know a few of us out there <laughs> mm-hmm. and many, and many have made that transition into uh, uh, user experience design. Cause I do think it's, it's a really interesting and uh, pragmatic kind of application of the stuff that you learn in architecture, you know, it's like a really interesting application for it, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious about this first app you then built. You <laughs> you went from kind of zero experience in the product design world, just, you know, architecture experience, and then you went straight into your own product. What did you build? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the kind of preface, preface to me leaving architecture and just coming out and building an app uh, was that I grew up in a really entrepreneurial household. Um, my dad started businesses and really like the the piece that really stuck with me was he really, really encouraged me and my siblings to start little companies like as kids. Um, and so we just like, we started a bunch of different companies and startups like out of the garage um, and so there was a lot of entrepreneurial spirit that I grew up around and I, I really, really enjoyed. And I never saw myself as like a business person per se. So I, I didn't pursue business. I didn't think about going into like starting my own business. Um, I always felt like I was a creative and, and was always told that growing up and architecture felt like a really, you know, interesting creative path. Um, but I realized, I think, along the way that I actually really, I really just wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't see it as, you know, something that was made for me because I was this creative person. And then I realized that's total crap, that like those two things can coexist. Um, and so I realized that about the time that I was finishing up architecture school and and it kind of came to me that like, the thing I was most excited about in leaving architecture school was starting my own firm. And I was like, I don't actually want to start my own firm. I just want to start my own company. Um, and so 
that kind of like aha moment that that's actually what I wanted to do happened around the same time that I realized I didn't want to do architecture and I wanted to do something else, started learning about user experience design. And um, it kind of like all added up to me that like, oh, if I if I learn this really cool skill that sounds like it's really fun to do, it's also kind of my way into starting my own business or software company or whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had this idea for an app <laughs> and it was called Corner. And it was like, it was like the stuff that I found fascinating about urban planning. Um, I, I was trying to kind of build like an interactive neighborhood map where you're like kind of like Foursquare-ish, but like a little bit more about just like things that were happening in the neighborhood that you're in, or even like like distinctly like your apartment building. Um, and this concept I actually submitted into this, this competition, which I don't know if it still goes on, called the NYC Big Apps Competition. Um, and you could apply and, you know, get like funding out of it. But what came out of it for me was not, I did not win. But I met a developer that was building something really similar, and he was an iOS developer, and we just kind of paired up and, you know, built our app together and put it in the app store within a couple months, had some users, you know, learned things, put out some updates. Like it was like a full fledged like boot camp <laughs> wrapped up in an idea that I I was pretty like fascinated with as well. And just learning product design as I went, basically. Amazing. I feel like that's such a more powerful way to get into the this world than the UX boot camps that most people try and do when they shift in try and shift into this uh, space. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. I, I, there's a bunch of whenever I talk to younger people that are kind of just starting out in this and and have that kind of cold start problem of being new to the industry and trying to figure out how to get enough projects under their belt so that they can go out and get their first job job. Um, I, I usually tell them that's that story because I, I do think it kind of empowers you to just like go design or even try to design and build because now you really can. There's so much no code and low code stuff out there. Um, try to actually like create something that you're excited to create. Um, you know, don't uh, boot camps are, are great. Um, but I, I do think that taking the initiative and like creating something that you that you want to exist, um, you'll have a lot more energy behind it. And it's a much more interesting story to tell in a job interview, or at least it, it was for me. Yeah, I'm sure it was. You then went on to work at a number of different companies, as you said. Were you always going into those roles with the expectation that this was teaching you the things you needed to then launch your own company or had you kind of say did you just given yourself time to put the entrepreneur dream on pause for a bit yeah it's a great question it was actually somewhere in between um i i knew that i if anyone asked me at any point in time like what are you <laughs> what's your goal like what are you trying to do i would be super honest like employers whoever that my my end goal is to start my own company. Um, and I don't know that I was necessarily like extremely strategic about, okay, I'm taking this job because it's getting me a step closer to starting my own company. Um, I really followed just people that I enjoyed working with and ideas that I got excited about. 
and always, I wouldn't say kept the entrepreneur thing on hold. I, I actually continued to tinker around with different ideas and projects throughout my entire time being a full, fully employed person. Um, I saw it more as, yes, I'm gathering, I'm gathering experience. It's going to make, you know, that's going to come in handy when I start my own company. Yes, I'm meeting people and building a network of people that, um, you know, are going to be great supporters when I do go out and start my own company. But what I was really, I think, doing in the background was waiting or trying to figure out the idea that was worth taking the leap for. Um, and so I, I was tinkering around with a lot of different things, making projects, some that made a little bit of money, but I lost interest in some that didn't take off and that I eventually lost interest in and hadn't really found the thing that I felt like was worth committing to. Um, that was that was more the the kind of path that I was on was feeling like I could explore ideas and passions and at the same time kind of be figuring out what idea I wanted to actually take on. What were some of the ideas that made it into the graveyard? <laughs> um, I built... I built an app um, that was called Stamp, uh, and it was it was really a way for people to build like social maps. It's mapping kind of theme comes up a few times, um, but it was a way to kind of build like your own personal city guide. Um, and I really built it for like these sort of like influencer creators that would go around and like just find really cool places, post beautiful photos of them, and then not get any like <laughs> sort of earnings or clout for that other than like Instagram followers. Um, but it's like really hard to actually create shopping ads for like local places. Like Instagram, you know, has created a couple different ways for influencers to make money when they advertise shopping items and get affiliate fees that way. But there's not really a way to do that for, um, you know, advertising or talking about a place. So I had built this kind of social map thing where you could pin all your favorite places in a given city and then actually generate the affiliate links so that if someone goes, looks at your Paris map, sees this amazing hotel that you stayed at, and then ends up actually booking at that hotel, that creator that you know, gave them the suggestion to stay there would actually get an earning for it. Um, and it ended up being really difficult to onboard influencers, even though I, I felt like I was like really building this product for them. It was just like not my space. Um, I think there's like a hundred different ways you could build that startup. And there's like probably a hundred different startups already doing it. Um, but it felt like an interesting yeah, it felt like an interesting space, but like one that you really needed to like know how to work with influencers and really be fully committed to it. And for me, it was a side project. Um, so I kind of bumped into the walls of like, uh, this needs to be like a highly committed to thing or else it's probably not not worth doing. And I don't know if I really want to commit to it. So that's an example. I also like launched a sticker app that took me about five minutes to make and <laughs> it like blew up in China. <laughs> which is not a company, but it's like, these are the kinds of like, I don't know, random projects or things that I find interesting to spin up sometimes. And yeah, I started, I just, I, I made it a paid sticker app and like 
made some money through Apple's like sticker app store, which no one uses anymore. Or I, I don't know if it's it's a highly used feature on, you know, Apple messages. But um, that was kind of like a, a random fun one <laughs> that actually made some money. Do you feel like you took many learnings from these smaller experiments that you brought into the business you finally decided to run with? Yeah, the, the biggest learning I've had with, I think with those two, and it's it's kind of a macro learning on more that I'm, you know, I don't need to share here. But the, I think the macro learning I had is that you get, you get what you put into it. And there's certain size of projects and ideas that you really have to put enough in to get something out of. A sticker app is a very small thing. You can put little in, you can get little out great. Bigger ideas, even though they're exciting and interesting, uh, you have to be able to willing, you have to be willing to put a big amount in to get a big amount out and to really like fully execute on that idea. And I, I, I will speak personally that I find it difficult to put enough in when you're full-time employed somewhere else to really execute on the full like idea of a thing. Like I'm, I advocate for like finding the space to tinker around if you're in a full-time job, because it it did work for me in terms of feeling like I could scratch the entrepreneurial itch and also like play around with different ideas. Um, But the second that you know that it's validated, like it's a real, like the idea like really could have legs and work. You have to like give it your all or else you're not going to get out of it what you what you want, or I, I, in my experience, haven't. So with Huddle, you know, I just like really had an intention from the beginning where I felt like if these couple of things line up, this thing is really, this thing really has legs and I really need to leave my full-time job and actually devote full energy to this and have a co-founder that's holding me accountable to give full energy to it as well. Um, this can't be a side, you know, a side project. It's too big of an idea. It's too big of an execution. Um, so that was my biggest learning is just like, you get it, you get out what you put in and, uh, yeah, there's no kind of like shortcut way to build a big business. Mm. So then where did the ideas for map businesses end and the idea for huddle appear? I think that, I still really love like geo local based stuff. I think I'll probably do something in that space again at some point because I just find it really interesting personally. And I and I think the kind of like thing I find really fascinating about it is that it's like truly IRL. <laughs> like it's those all of those sorts of projects and apps and ideas are really focused on like being in a real place uh, and so I, I do really enjoy that stuff. I think that Huddle for me was a departure because I started to look more per, like inward personally when we were starting Huddle and like and really started to think about what do I want? Like what would I want if I built something for me? Um, and so that that journey was kind of a unique one to Huddle because I am this sort of like designer, builder, side hustle, like want to have a career that's made up of 
or not even a career, just like a day-to-day work life that's made up of projects that I find really interesting and working with people I find interesting and it sort of being this like hodgepodge of cool projects. Um, And so Huddle was really built on that. It was like looking at what what I wish existed, what my colleagues and people around me wished existed and actually just building that versus like building something that I thought was just like cool or like interesting. Um, it was more of a personal uh, path, I think. And did this start as a side hustle or something in the evenings while you were working as well? Or did, was there a point where you had the idea and thought, this is it, I'm just going all in from the start? So back when I... So the the answer is that I I did work on it moonlight for a while. Um, my co-founder Mike was actually full time working on a similar idea to Huddle. It had a different name at the time, and he had brought me in as an advisor. Mike and I worked actually at a couple different startup studios in the beginning of my career, and like are just old friends and collaborators. And so he had pulled me in as like basically a design advisor for this, like, I don't know, decentralized agency idea that he was working on. Um, And as we started working together on it, Huddle sort of came out on the other end as like this, this platformized version of what he had been kind of tinkering around with. Um, And I continued to work on the idea of Huddle, launching it, uh, even raising money while I was still in my full-time job at Cruise. Um, I managed to just, you know, organize my schedule in a way where I had my mornings where I would kind of knock out huddle stuff, take investor calls if I needed to, and really felt like I could I could make huge strides in getting huddle to a place where it felt really validated. That's what that's sort of what I felt like the idea really was great. It was a personal problem of mine or opportunity of mine that I felt like was worth pursuing. Um, but I wanted to sort of fully validate that it like it was basically like investable and really had some remnant of product market fit before I left my full-time job at Cruise. Cause I really enjoyed that job. Um, and also knew that there was going to be this path eventually where I was gonna leave for some sort of startup that I was starting and this seemed like the right one. Um, but yeah, I, I raised, I raised a bunch of our seed funding actually before, uh, before even leaving cruise. Um, so you can definitely do it, <laughs> especially with a really supportive co-founder. Uh, you can, you know, you can really validate your idea to whatever degree is important to you before, before making like the full, full leap. Um, but, uh, I do think that for me, once I did make the leap is when I could really like fully wrap my arms around it and, and execute. Was it easy to go from advisor to co-founder with Mike? How did that happen? <laughs> um, that's, I hadn't even like, I haven't thought about that phase in the company in a long time. Uh, it actually really was easy. So Mike had just a uh, he had just come off of a co-founder uh, relationship that sort of 
didn't go awry actually just like went in two different directions like uh his his former partner went and started something else in a different space um and so he was co-founder less and was not sure if he wanted to bring on another co-founder and him and i just had this rapport from working together both inside of these you know agencies and studios as well as just like on the side like him and i have just worked together on random projects for startups and our founder friends and things many times. So we have a really good rapport and also really, really open communication, like always, Um, you know, ever since our kind of like first gig working together, for whatever reason, we've just always been able to communicate with each other. And he kind of like presented to me this idea that like, hey, we're kind of this other idea I was working on clearly is is changing because having you in the mix, like we're co-creating something new here. Um, would you be open to just like actually co-founding this with me? Like instead of just staying on as an advisor, like what would that look like? Do you think that this would be something you'd want to actually like put that kind of effort and and commitment behind, even if it means, you know, eventually leaving your job? Um, and I felt like it wasn't, it was kind of an easy, it was kind of an easy decision for me because I felt like we were just going to take the next six months and like try a bunch of stuff and see if it stuck. And I was pretty excited about the overall vision for it. So I was like, I was appreciative that he made the move to ask me to be, to kind of like move into that space. And we went, you know, just kind of like 50, 50 on it. Nice. You mentioned the vision you had or that you both had back then. Can you tell, like, is the vision you had then how it's played out now is that, or has, has a lot changed in the process of creating and building this company? A lot has stayed the same. We launched Huddle as a Slack group in late 2020, and we just seeded it with like the best designers and builders in both of our networks. So it was like 50 people. Um, and then I put up a landing page that was like, get a pop-up team of amazing designers and builders that are from all these great companies and actually know how to build real startups. Um, and it like, we put, we, we put it on product hunt and it just like completely took off. So that, that message has not changed. <laughs> like that's like not all that different even than what our current marketing website says. And the inside of Huddle is still very much the extension of those 50 people that first joined and were excited about the idea of it and have invited their friends and their friends have invited their friends. Huddle has grown organically. Um, 50% of our growth has been organic, just direct referral. Um, so it feels like a bigger version of that same community that we spun up, you know, in a week (laughs) in the middle of the pandemic. Um, the thing that's changed is really early on. One of the things I got very excited about was this idea of not just spin up a team around a project, but be able to pay them in both cash or equity or both. And the reason I got really excited about equity is it felt like a really exciting space where designers and builders, um, designers and builders like that are freelance typically don't get equity 
when they work on projects. That's like only for full-time employees. Um, but when you're early on, like that designer that you work with to help you design your first, you know, marketing website that you go to market with, or your first app that you launch to your users is like a highly impactful person. Um, and so this idea of making it easier for designers and builders to pick up equity in their projects and for startups to be more capital efficient by spending in equity is an idea that um, I am and, and was super, super excited about. The, the only thing that's changed there is that we've realized how much of a legal headache equity, <laughs> private equity is. It's something that we're really passionate about. We do... We do still, um, we've made it easier and easier over time to transact with equity through Huddle, but it's not like our core feature yet because it's still just like a pain in the butt. And we're still like tackling a lot of the kind of tax and legal issues around it. And we want to really make it a clean experience so that we can really launch it as like, just like a fully substitutable way to, to pay for your team. And we're like, not quite there yet. Um, so we started with really lofty ambitions around that. And we've had to kind of like, kind of figure out like the best way to incorporate it, but it's not like our main thing, but it's something that we, we continue to like figure out where we can put it on the roadmap. <laughs> yeah. Equity is certainly something, even having worked at startups, I still don't feel I have a very yeah. reliable handle on in how I would ever go about trying to get paid in equity. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, do you like, do you have any, having gone through this, do you have any good advice for, even if someone's not using Huddle, like if someone's offering them equity as a designer or a developer, what do they need to watch out for? Or what do they need to make sure is in place if you happen to know that off the top of your head? <laughs> well, the way that we usually advise depends what, what stage the company's at. Um, if they're a little further along, they might offer you RSAs, um, or something similar, but if they're like really, really early, which is usually more often the case, if you're talking about equity, it's like those early, early days. Um, what we actually advise is we created, so in the process of trying to make this really easy and simple, which we still have not fully achieved, um, we created a note actually that's based off of the safe note. Um, which is what you know a lot of you know investors use to invest in early stage companies before they really have a valuation even um, or before they're doing a price round. So we've created our version of a safe note. It's called the cafe, and um, it is a version of the note that basically, instead of investing money in a startup, you're investing hours in a startup at a certain hourly rate, and you are passing up that money today for future equity. Um, and so it really positions yourself as an investor, which is kind of what you're doing. You're investing your time in this startup that who knows if it's going to be successful, but you're, you're, you're choosing to not take cash and allow that startup to hold its cash. Um, and, you know, in return, you're getting future, future equity. So I can make that resource you know, available somewhere for the audience if anyone's listening and wants to check that out. Um, but that's what we advise is is basically using a using an adapted safe note um, has been the way that we actually found it to be the cleanest. 
the thing to remember with that is um, you still have to pay taxes on it, which is so weird. <laughs> but like, you know, typically if I were to make a hundred bucks and then I pay taxes on that a hundred dollars and then I invest the, let's say I make a hundred bucks, I pay $20 in taxes, I have $80 and then I invest that $80 into a startup. The taxes are already baked into that. Um, but if I'm not making that money and paying taxes on it and then investing it, instead I'm just like skipping that whole process and just saying, don't pay me anything. I actually still have to pay taxes on that dollar amount, which is really silly. And we've looked into like a lot of different, <laughs> a lot of different ways around that, but that's actually like the, the correct way to do it. Um, so there is a little bit of like a legal, uh, sorry, not a legal, um, so it's a tax implication that's kind of unfortunate, but, um, yeah, still seems like it's actually the simplest way to do it in terms of the options out there. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you obviously have also had investment in your company in Huddle and it sounds like right from the start, you, you know, you were talking about your validation and you wanted to validate product market fit and whether it was investable. What made you decide that this was a company that needed to be investor funding led? It's a really good question because more and more now I'm thinking about how few companies actually really should go that route of the VC backed way. There's just so many different ways to go about it. I think the reason that we chose to raise money and um, and not go bootstrapped, but really grow this thing is we just really saw a wave happening. There are so many people in the middle of COVID that were at their full-time jobs and either wanting to leave, wanting to go full-time freelance, wanting to do side hustles. There was such a like growing desire for that. And we we weren't even at the point where there was like the great recession going on and, you know, all these layoffs, like there's so many things that even happened since it, but we were already very aware that there was like a real shift and an undercurrent happening where all these people, these really talented people were open and wanting a platform like Huddle to find jobs, to find projects um, and be able to stay fully independent and flexible um, that we felt like we needed to capitalize on it immediately. So it felt like one, we had a big story to tell and it was really backed by data. And two, we just had this like gut feeling that there was like an undercurrent. We really like, we were either gonna ride this big wave or not and stay like a really small kind of boutique kind of, you know, agency just made up of people from around the world, but not really have a platform around it. Um, and just like, you know, be a high quality agency. Uh, <laughs> and so we just felt like there was a huge opportunity there to really build something big and that capital really quickly would help us not just like catch the wave, but really be part of like making the wave. Um, so that's why we, that's why we went about actually raising money and putting fuel on something that was working versus just kind of growing at the rate that it organically would have. And then was that funding, was it originally to build the digital side of the platform you now have, or was it to hire the people you 
thought you needed to help expand this service? Where did that go? It went to both. Um, it went to a couple key hires that were focused on basically selling and matching these projects that were coming in. So getting more projects posted and coming into huddle and helping them close better and faster with teams around them. So we had a couple, a couple hires that were centered around that. And then we had a couple hires that were focused on, um, we had a couple hires that were focused on building out the platform and both, both kind of areas of, of investment for us were, were really centered around a goal that we had internally, which was to speed up the time from a project coming in the door to having a team around it. So our big thing was we know that people want huddle, like the supply side, the builders, they want huddle, the customers, the startups that come and use us like love huddle, like it's, it's magic for them. So we know that, you know, whatever that elusive product market fit is like, we felt like we basically, we had that in terms of like, this is something that's desired on both sides of this marketplace. What we didn't have was liquidity and speed and the, the kind of showings of something that was scalable. And so our goal was to take our seed funding and de-risk that part of the business. It was to like really look at the, what are we actually doing? What is the match? And how can we make that feel and truly be as fast and instant as using Uber? You know, I call an Uber to this address. Someone grabs my, you know, someone, someone says, yes, I'm in. They start making their way to my house. And within, you know, 10 minutes, I'm in a car. Um, we just wanted to build a platform that actually made that kind of instant magic feeling uh, happen, happen on Huddle. And so that's what we did. Like we spent 12 months straight with one goal in mind, which was time to team um, and built platform, grew out the supply, got the supply more engaged and active and expressing interest in projects quickly. Um, just like a couple kind of key metrics inside of that speed metric that we focused on. And um, yeah, we went from two weeks, like the time it would take to get a team on average was two weeks <laughs> uh, when we had first officially closed our seed round. And now it's under a day that you actually meet at least your first teammate. And then you can start with your team within five days. Um, so yeah, it's, it really now feels like what we were hoping for, which is that it feels like magic. It feels like I went from not having a team, not having people around that can actually help me build this thing and I'm just alone to, oh, I have, a, <laughs> I have like three people around me that actually know what they're doing and are like gung-ho about what I'm building. And we're like already working together and building the thing. Um, you know, if you have ever been a founder or tried to build something and you need people around you, you know that it's probably that's probably not what your experience was. Like the average time it takes to actually hire somebody is like three months. Um, and, you know, people are going on Twitter and tweeting out like, oh, I need a designer for this thing. And like, there's just like no good way to actually get teammates on the internet, which is odd. There's like so many ways to socialize and share content, but there's not really a, a great place to find good collaborators. 
Um, so that is what Huddle is trying to be. Yeah, it's so true. I feel it just really depends who you end up working with in your career. If you feel like you you work with a lot of people and they happen to be good, then you have a good network. And if that isn't the case, then you just hope that someone else you meet happens to know someone else. And it's, it's tricky. Yeah, it is. It's um, even if you have a good network, it's it's really slow. Um, I'm I, for a lot of my career, I've been that kind of connector person where, you know, I have founder friends that need design help and, you, you know, either I don't have time or it's something outside of my skill set and I have to like try to help connect them with somebody else. And it and then you're like checking availabilities and you're like checking rates. And it's, it's just like a, even going through personal networks, which is I, I would agree with you is the best way to get quality. Uh, it's just super slow. Um, and it can be really time consuming. You're kind of just like managing these different text messages and threads and places, um, you know, just to try to find a good designer. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's an interesting kind of problem space. Yeah. When you over that year, when you brought it down from two weeks to one day to finding your teammates, you probably tried a lot of different things looking back, were there some things that moved the needle hugely and others that kind of weren't really worth the effort? And if so, what, what were those big changes that really impacted you positively? I would say that the, the highest impact things that we did were around activating our supply and growing it. Um, we just didn't have enough. This is like a marketplace learning. I've never built you know, a marketplace, at least to this extent, for sure. Um, we had what I felt like was enough supply, but we needed even even more kind of like slack in the system. Um, and so we really, we grew out supply and we launched a couple basic things like, you know, when a project drops, if you as a builder are like trying to get a get work on huddle, uh, we advise you to put your phone number in because we'll just text you like right when a project drops and it's first come first serve, like, you know, literally just express interest. And if the rates work and all of that, like you're in. So just by launching that set of notifications, um, we had so much more liquidity suddenly enter the marketplace because we were able to have like 30 people interested in a project within like two hours. Um, and so that that enabled us to move just like like so much quicker um, in terms of putting teams around projects. And then we also kind of like operationally, we were we were assembling these teams by hand in the beginning of Huddle, of course. Like it was just like literally a group of us looking at projects that come in the door, looking at people that express interest, and just kind of like quickly trying to form teams around it. Um, and uh, we just introduced a couple like community roles. So now if you're a user on Huddle, you can just play the role of being like a team assembler person. <laughs> and it's, it's allowed us to like kind of push a lot of these kind of manual tasks out to users that are inside of Huddle. They get compensated for doing so, which is great. It's more ways that you can kind of play inside of the Huddle platform. Um, and, and it's allowed us to like really scale up the operation without replacing 
people with AI, <laughs> which was like an approach that we thought about. Like, oh, maybe it should just be like a founder comes in, they post a project and like AI connects them to a person. That was like an actual, you know, I mean, there's there's a world where we might move a little closer into that direction. But what we've actually found is that when you're a founder, you just want to meet someone great that you trust, and then you'll you'll be excited to see what team they put together and probably move forward with them if you if you love that per, that first person that you meet. Like it's all about the actual relationship and uh, modeling it after a personal network is a lot of how we've built uh, the Huddle platform. Um, so yeah, pushing out some of those operational tasks to users and tooling. Uh, was something that we did in the past year that like it, it it sped up the time and it also made it more operational efficient for us um, to connect a founder with a team. I would say like things that didn't work. That's uh, a good question. I like haven't really thought about things that like haven't advanced us in some way, but. What about with just your business in general? It can't have all been smooth sailing. So what are some what went like what went wrong and and what did you learn from that along the way? Yeah, maybe nothing went wrong. <laughs> no, 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 so so many things have gone wrong. I'm just thinking of one that's you know interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think I think we probably I think we probably like held on to certain tasks for too long, um, like like I mentioned with the team assembly kind of piece, that being a manual internal operation, um, it took us a long time to let that go. Uh, same with, we were at, at, at for a long time also just manually operating all of the payments. So like customer pays and we're just like hand organizing the builders getting paid out from there and hand like re remembering to remind customers to continue to pay if they're on a monthly engagement like we just did not like create a like like platformize any of that for a long time and i think it was really like there was a little bit of like control um like ego control in there um like the team assembly piece we just wanted every team that every founder came in to be great and I think that there, to some extent that it's really important to do that kind of non-scalable stuff. Um, of course, like I, you, doing the things early on that give every customer a great customer experience is super important. But I think we took that a little bit too far and it actually, it slowed down, like especially in those early parts of, of last year, it was a big part of the slowdown and it was also disempowering to our users, I think. Like to be so in the middle of the experience versus just being the space where these two different people connect. Um, it's like going for perfection and it's like disempowering to people. Like let, let them meet and figure it out. <laughs> you know, like we were kind of like hand holding the match between these two kind of uh, counterparts, these builders and founders. Um, to go for this perfection on both ends. And um, yeah, I think that just the cost of that was we were we were slow and probably lost a lot of customers that way because because we were going for perfect and high quality. 
we missed out on the speed component, which is actually what we found is the most important piece. Um, people move on and change their mind about purchases uh, if you don't deliver in a certain amount of time. Um, and yeah, I also think that builders on our platform are kind of like, what's going on? Like, I don't really, I don't know what's going on because it's kind of a black box um, because we're trying to like do this like perfect mechanism in the background. So I think that when we actually relinquish control, put more out to our users, more information out to our users and more tooling out so that they could autonomously do more things. It was like a hard transition for the company, but that's when a lot of things, um, a lot of things unlocked for us. Mm. It's interesting hearing you talk about that handholding piece and kind of being too much in the way because I, I also, as well as being a huddle member, I have another platform which is in a very similar space to you and I have had projects through there and I remember early on they would just connect me with the founder or the team builder on the client side and we would run, you know, have our own kickoff meeting to introduce one another. And then later on, they started introducing an, a rep from their company and they would like be this middle person in that meeting. But like they didn't really know anything about either of us. So it's just this strange, awkward third <laughs> person in the room who like you felt like you had to go through their process because they were the matchmaker, but mm. it didn't really benefit either side in any way, as far as I could tell. So yeah yeah interesting yeah that's 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 an interesting experience that you had and i'm sure i'm sure builders on huddle have felt that way at one time or another as we've sort of figured out the balance of these things um you know there's there is just a balance between letting people be <laughs> and like letting like seeing literally what people do when you don't control every step of the thing and the balance of like you know, really having a, like a, a strong desire to provide a great customer experience every time. Um, those two things sometimes feel like they're at odds. Um, but yeah, I do think there's other ways to go about it. Like we've just found that providing really great tools and really great education is our way of creating a consistent customer experience between builders and, and customers without having to like be in the room saying everything has to go this way, you know? Mm -hmm. How do you plan for the future? Like how do you and Mike decide what's coming? How far do you look down the line uh, and what is coming? <laughs> um, so we plan, uh, well, we do quarterly planning like many companies do. Uh, quarter Quarterly planning, like a three month plan is, what I would consider like the furthest out that we could go that's actually like pretty, pretty certain. <laughs> I don't like to like create roadmaps that go too far beyond that because I just have my experiences that that's not really uh, realistic. Um, just so many things change at the stage that we're at of company building. We've learned so much every month, every three months that like, you know, looking beyond that can sometimes be. Uh, a waste of time. But um, yeah, I mean, the big things that were, Mike and I are just like, our planning or style that we go about making decisions in is we just talk like all the time. <laughs> like, even though 
we are sometimes remote, sometimes we're both in Miami as well. Uh, we just try to stay hyper, hyper aligned, even at just like the overall vision level. Um, like we don't, we try to actually like zoom out and come back up to that and talk about it like a lot. Um, so it, it's kind of easy then for me who runs like the product side of things to look down at our product roadmap and kind of say, okay, are we still aligned? Like, is this still like, you know, is this still actually the most important set of things based on this kind of collective set of learnings and decision-making that's happening between Mike and I on a daily basis? Um, and so as the product owner, I can kind of shift things around if, if needed. Um, but the big things that we're focused on to answer your question, you know, over the next few months to, you know, even like more like 12 to 18 months is, is really focused on that magic experience that I talked about. So the part one of the magic customer experience at Huddle is speed. The fact that I can go from no team to team, like from a Monday to a Thursday is magical. <laughs> like that's, that's like for, for founders, especially those that are like kind of struggling and, and like really, uh, you know, having that cold start problem or are trying a lot of different solutions and like banging their head against the wall. That is like a magical thing. But part two of the magic, which is what we're focused on next is is really making it like as seamless as possible for you to have an idea in your head about what you want to build and be able to like summon a team like to it with like the little the littlest amount of translation possible. So, you know, right now when you come on Huddle, you kind of create this whole project and you tag it and you add a timeline and some different things. Um, and you all you have to do all of that right inside of our app. Um, we're we're trying to really kind of break the mold a little bit and make it even easier than that. Um, so wherever you're doing work, you can just like really rapidly pull a team in and start working, you know, as fast as possible. That's a little bit vague, but that's like thematically where we're heading is just like speed part two <laughs> is like there's speed and then there's like frictionless. Um, we're, we're kind of tackling frictionless next. And then the longer, longer term thing, which we just are incredibly excited about is if we just have tons of startups, you know, every startup on the planet needs talent like all the time. Um, if we just have tons of startups that are posting projects and getting teams on huddle and you, Ian, you know, are building your podcast and also like, you know, your design career in 10 different huddle projects. <laughs> Huddle like starts to become this like independent HQ for you. Um, like I, you know, Mike and I sort of like play out this dream scenario that in, you know, in the future, you wake up in the morning, I have my coffee in hand, I log into Huddle, and it's like my total hub for like my personal enterprise <laughs> because I have like my equity that I've earned in my startups over here and I can see how much it's worth today. I'm like earning wealth over there. And then I have my five projects that I have, you know, going on over the next couple months with all my favorite collaborators. I have this event going on later tonight. That's like here in person in Miami that I can go attend with other, other huddlers. Um, it's really creating a home for these people that, 
you know, we believe are going to be more and more independent and less and less staying at, you know, W2 companies. Um, we just think the future of work looks a lot more flexible. And, you know, we, we're trying to position Huddle and grow Huddle as the club that you join instead of a company. And so long term, we're going to be building a lot into our platform to make that kind of dream real. Well, it sounds like a magical club. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> what is something unique you'd never have learned without starting Huddle, your business? I think that I would have never learned. I think most, I had so many learnings from pivoting around with Huddle and from fundraising. Like those are my two like big learning areas in the last two years. Um, and I guess if I were to pick one area and one learning, when I like from fundraising, I had a really, really big learning that that it's really, really, it feels really good and it's really valuable to go out and as much as possible, tell people what you're doing and find people that are excited about it too. And also just excited for you. Like the value, I'm like a, like a more introverted person. Like I don't, you know, love talking about myself. I don't, love going to networking events. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a builder kind of persona and being a founder and really like exercising the muscle of being vocal, particularly when going out and fundraising, which is this like, this act of like, really, it's just like getting people to believe in you over and over and over again. Um, I just found in me and just like as a learning that going out and being authentically you authentically passionate about what you're doing and like vocalizing it you will naturally attract people that are excited about it too and all these other things that seem hard suddenly unlock um it's like i, I think it's part of this like manifesting kind of mentality which i i've also uh, gathered while being a founder, which is that like, if you actually go out and take the actions to create something, it will be created and you've set a whole new set of things into motion. Um, like you don't predict the future, you create it. And for me, the social kind of aspect of like going out and saying that I'm building this thing helped actually build it. You know, like it actually helped get people around it that ended up funding it or introing me to someone that ended up funding it and is literally how we got here today is just me going out and saying, you know, I believe in this and I'm building it. You don't predict the future, you create it. I love that as a sentiment. Thank you. Where can people go to find out more about you and Huddle? You can go check out huddle.works. That is our website. Uh, if you're if you're a designer or a builder, you can apply to join. Uh, Ian, maybe you can make available your invite link, um, mm -hmm. or I can or I can put mine out there. But um, would love to have you. And yeah, if you're a startup listening, you know, go to huddle.works and there's a big button there that just says request a huddle, and it's super simple. You can just join the platform. You can post a project, and you can get a team around your idea. Um, and yeah. Also, personally, um, I am trying to 
kind of be more vocal about some of the lessons I've learned as a female founder and a designer founder, uh, both of which are not super common. Um, and I'm launching a kind of a cool course on Maven. I'm trying something new. Um, the course is called Go From Designer to Founder. And I am, yeah, running basically this like three-week um, set of workshops where I pass along some of the insights and learnings that I've had in going from being a, you know, a full-time product designer to being a full-time founder. Amazing. I will link to all of those in the show notes. Sweet. Steph, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you being on. Thank you, Ian. This was a blast. I'm so glad that you joined the Huddle community and that we got to meet and that we hung out on Community Crit today. <laughs> yeah, that was good fun. Yeah, this was great. Thank you for having me. See you again soon. Hey, listeners. Ian here again. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, it would mean so much to me if you subscribed or gave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. And maybe tell a friend.